Good morning. Y'all braved the cold. Congratulations for being here this morning. In response to what John was saying in the announcements, um, one of my prayers is, is that uh, when we see real revival, we'll have traffic jams on Sunday morning. Now think about that for a second. <laughs> I'd like to have, see five o'clock traffic on Sunday morning as people try to get to church because they want to be in God's presence. And I think that will be something else. So we've been um, looking at the uh, I am's in, in John. Um, John frames the meat of his book, if you would, around these seven I am passages and seven miracles, all of which John meant to display who Christ really is. He's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's God in the flesh. We looked last week at Christ's explanation of being the door. In that, we looked at the fact that Jesus talked about and compared himself to a shepherd. <clears throat> this week, we want to look at the next part of this passage in John 10, where Jesus calls himself twice the good shepherd. Remember that the shepherd is the actual door to a, to a Middle Eastern sheep pen. The shepherd lays himself across the opening of the door <clears throat> so that the sheep must go over him to get out or something uh, that would hurt the sheep have to go over him to get in. As the door, the shepherd is very literally laying his life between that which would harm the sheep and that which will keep the sheep safe. So when Jesus calls himself the good shepherd, he's magnifying character qualities that make his assertion being the Messiah real. I want to look at four qualities, four character qualities today of Jesus that are illuminated in this passage. For a moment, I want you to think about a, what a person of good character is like. You probably know someone that you esteem, you look up to, and you do that because they're people of good character. What does that person look like? What is it that they display? What makes for someone that you trust? Someone you can depend on. I find that a really hard one in our day. It's so hard to find people that tell you what they're going to do and then do it. That's a character issue. We rarely hear much about character in our day. And I think it's reflected in our culture. Uh, we're a culture fast losing the kind of character that made us the nation that we are. I think we've lost our understanding of how important character is. <clears throat> it's my understanding that even now, in our court systems, we cannot call into question a person's character, even if they're a known liar or theft or an adulterer, a la Fannie Willis right now. Now, I don't know where that came from in our court, because I know that for years, if someone came into court, you would begin to, the opposing attorney would begin to list off the issues that this person has. And as I understand, I may be wrong, I'm not a lawyer, but you cannot bring up those things in court. What in the world? 
They can only be tried on the case in front of the court, and their past actions cannot be brought up. Maybe I'm wrong, but that is what I understand. So what is character? What is character? The dictionary defines a person's character as um, <laughs> referring to especially moral qualities, ethical standards, principles, and the like. Um, you've heard the term, the man of sterling character. So character is the inner moral compass <clears throat> that, that determines how one behaves, what one usually does, the stand that one will take. So what kind of character traits would you want displayed in the person of God? Jesus. That's a loaded question in one sense because we all have perceptions of Jesus from our years of being in church and understanding the scripture and all that. But what would you want displayed? Jesus talks about these, those kind of character qualities that are on display for the character of God for all who will but look. Jesus tells his listeners that he's the good shepherd. Now, I want to play off of really good because as we look at these character qualities, they're an explanation of what makes a good shepherd, okay? So I'm not going to define good. I think we all know what good is. But these character qualities, as we look at them, will <clears throat> sort of put Jesus in that whole sphere of goodness. And as he does this, he outlines four character qualities of a good shepherd and has a good what a good shepherd has. And I would go so far as to say what a good Christian has. So this is one long application, if you would, this morning. Because these character qualities, although Jesus has them, we should be growing in these things. I want to read the whole passage again from where we started last week just to put it in context. So starting in John chapter 10, verse 1. <clears throat> Excuse me. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the <clears throat> sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things that he, which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The, shepherd, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. 
As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. But the other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own self. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from the Father. May God bless his word. Let's pray for a second. God, we ask that you would take uh, this passage of scripture that illuminates your son and all that he is. I pray that you would open it to us that we might learn from it and seek to be like our Lord. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Lead us, guide us right now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, the first thing to see is, I'm going to give you four L's if you would, but the first thing to see is the good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. In verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Jesus refers to the fact that he is headed to the cross to die for you and for me, to sacrifice his life on our behalf. The good shepherd puts the benefits of others in front of himself, the sheep. The good shepherd does whatever it takes to protect the sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for others, for his sheep. So I believe a forgotten character quality of our day is to be self-sacrificing. In our day, we have elevated taking care of self above taking care of others. In fact, when I was, went to Bible school, my Bible teacher, he said, you could take the word Christian and you could just insert others. Because that's really what a Christian is. He comes to know Jesus, and then he becomes like Jesus, and he takes care of others. He's self-sacrificing. Consequently, because we have this now self-grandizement in our culture, it has affected everything. If we as Christians are not willing to emulate our Savior and live for the sake of others, I believe we've lost one of the central themes of the Christian faith. Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 to 26, Jesus pretty much gives a stark saying here, if you would. He says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it if a man gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? You and I are called to deny ourselves and to take up our cross. In that day and time, when Jesus said, take up your cross, he was, his listeners must have just gone, what? Because they saw the crosses at the edge of their villages and towns where the Romans would hang folks that they didn't particularly care for. <laughs> They knew that that was an instrument of death. And so what Jesus is saying is, don't count yourself great. 
die to self, and live for me. Take up your cross and follow after me. Christ died for you and me. He forgot his own comfort, his own desires, his own strength and power, his own majesty and grandeur, and laid it all aside for, the, for a cross. He tells us to take up our cross and follow him. That is, we are to follow him to death. Death to our desires, death to ourselves, and wants in terms of putting them all ahead of others. That's a tall order even today. To die to self and to live for others. I believe that when the church is willing to lay all that they think is good for self aside and start living for others, being willing to lay down one's life for others, then we will have a revival unlike anything we've ever had in American history. Then the streets will be full on Sunday morning. America is self-centered. We're spoiled. We're childish. Those who live like Christ, willing to give all for others, will stand out like white against black, if you would, in our culture. In John chapter 15, he, he says something similar to Matthew. He says, As the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, that all sounds good, doesn't it? Now, if we can run down to verse 17, if I, think, if I got the right passage. Verse 17, the, excuse me, go back. I missed it. Greater love has no one than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. Take up your cross and follow after me. Be willing to die to yourself. That's what a good shepherd does. He takes care of his sheep. He goes all the way to the point of death, if you would, to take care of his sheep. Then verse 17, thank you. These things I command you that you what? Love one another. How do you show love? That's a big question. But in this context, it means to be self-sacrificing. It means to be willing to die to yourself and to live for others. Christ calls on the character quality of self-forgetfulness and sacrificial love. He displays the willingness to die for others. Do you? Do I? <laughs> I struggle with this one, gang. <laughs> I find myself looking out for me all the time. So I'm preaching to me too. It's hard. But when you're filled with God's Spirit, when you're submissive to Christ, when you're willing to walk with Him and let Him be your good shepherd, He will empower you at those moments when you have to make that decision between yourself and whoever else. And I find that as long as I lean on Him, He gives me the strength to live for others. Jesus identifies another character quality that I think is largely forgotten today, <clears throat> forgotten today, and it's the character quality of loyalty. When's the last time you heard anybody talk about loyalty? 
Do you even remember the word? <laughs> Number two, the good shepherd never leaves his sheep. The hireling or the worker or the hired hand is only in it for himself for what he can get out of being a temporary shepherd. Look at verse 12 again. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. The hireling, there's a hired man. This is King James, New King James. It's a hired man. It's just somebody who's given a job. He doesn't have his heart in it. He's, he has his hand out because he wants to be paid. But he's not really interested in the benefit, the life of the sheep. He's just doing a job. And he'll leave for a better one if a better one job presents itself. But what Christ calls for and shows himself to be is a shepherd that will not leave his sheep. They are his, and he loves them and cares for them and is loyal to them. Have you ever thought about the fact that Christ is loyal to you? I don't deserve that loyalty. Again, I'm preaching me too, gang. <laughs> but he is loyal to us. That's one reason I believe in the eternal security. He didn't, I didn't adopt him, he adopted me. I didn't save me, he saved me. I didn't give my life for him, he gave his life for me. He's loyal to me, even when I screw up. How many of here, how many here, just raise your hand. How many here have sinned since you became a Christian? Oh good, we got a bunch of honest Presbyterians, I'm glad. <laughs> did Christ leave you when you did that? Did he stop having a relationship with you when you did that? No, he loves you and he's loyal to you. He, you're his and he loves you and he cares for you. How often do you hear about loyalty today? How many Christians are truly loyal? The dictionary states loyalty implies faithfulness. That is steadfastness in the face of any temptation to renounce, desert, or betray. A strong feeling of allegiance or support. If you are faithful or devoted to someone, you're loyal. Jesus will not leave us. He is loyal to us even when we do not deserve it. He's loyal and loves us and will not leave us. These two verses, the hireling will, but Jesus won't. He's the good shepherd. That's the definition of good because he, he's loyal to us. He, he won't leave us. This is how we're to be. There needs to be wisdom in who you attract for yourself, but we're to be the most loyal people on earth like our Savior. I was a pastor. I've told you this before. I was a pastor for 27 years. When I was a pastor in Burley, Idaho, I was there eight years, particularly there. It happened here. 
But I'd have folks sort of, Burley was a Mormon community, so there's, I think, five churches, evangelical churches in the whole community. And so when something unique would happen at one of the churches, you know, revival would start, or we'd have a, a great preacher come in or whatever, I'd have this group of people that would come in and they'd stay for anywhere from six weeks to six months. I'd call them church te- testers, tasters, church tasters. As soon as something uncomfortable happened, they went to another church. I confronted some of them, not, not to hurt them, but do you realize what your character is telling everybody? You are not willing to stick it out with people. You're not willing to be loyal with people. Churches go through tough things. You guys know that. <laughs> and if you just get up and leave, you're not loyal. Now, there are reasons to leave, so let me just qualify that. There are times when you have to say enough is enough, and you have to do that. But God wants us to be loyal to the church, loyal to one another, loyal to our fellow believers and to our pastor. The the Savior never leaves his sheep. He's supremely loyal, and so should we as well. The willingness of the good shepherd to give love his sheep and never leave them. I've misspelled a word here. (laughs) Speaks of his love for his sheep. The third thing to see here is the good shepherd loves his sheep. Verses 14 through 16, he says, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I, I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. What are the traits of love, if you would, the character qualities of love? How do you know when someone loves you? How do you know when you love someone? I remember when um, my wife and I sort of started going back and forth. Uh, we were in seminary together, and uh, the first time I really sat down and talked to her was at, <clears throat> uh, in the missions office. I was a missions major for two years, and there she was. She was wanting to go to Africa as a missionary. I was dating someone else at the time, but you know how that little thing starts? You just go, oh, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I didn't see her for a couple of months. And then we had a historical theology class together. And I walk in and I can see the back of her head. And so I walked over and sat down next to her. And we just chatted, you know. And I didn't know it, but when I did that, um, everything started fluttering in her heart. And so we started, you know, we had the class together. And so I think second or third class, I said, hey, I'm doing a, some evangelism at our church. We, I was in an inner city church and I was showing movies on Friday nights to kids, evangelistic movies. I said, why don't you come? She went to another inner city church and so one night, she, two, nights late, two Friday nights later, she showed up with nine you know, street urgents <laughs> from inner city Dallas. And uh, I went, whoa, this is, mm, yeah. And you know what she did? She left as soon as it was over. And I, I was going, what? And uh, 
So I'm cleaning up, and about a half hour later, she comes back in. And I said, where'd you go? She goes, I had to take all the kids home, but I wanted to come back and clean up. We went to a, a equivalent of a Denny's. I don't remember what the name of it was, little, but a Denny's-like place. We closed it down that night. And after that, I was wanting to bump into her on a regular basis. I was wanting to see her around campus on a regular basis. As it turned out, she was wanting to see me. How do you know when you're in love? All those things sort of start happening in different ways. You may not have had that experience like I did, but you may have had it with someone else, or you may have had it with a friend. You wanted to be with that person all the time. You look forward to bumping into them. Maybe you arranged it even. You knew that person's voice in the crowd. You got to where you knew their smell. It was always a good smell, by the way. <laughs> you know what they're thinking. You know their sense of humor and the look they have when they're dead serious. My wife says I have beady eyes when I get angry. I have to work not to have beady eyes when I'm talking, you know, getting ready to say something that I'm at 10 tenths about. You know their sense of humor. You know them, and they know you. Jesus knows his sheep, and he loves them. And when you and I come to know him, we fall in love with him as well. Verse 15, he says um, again, As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. The knowing becomes so intimate that there is a kind of oneness Jesus speaks of becoming one with his followers the way he is one with God. The oneness speaks of the Godhead. It's an allusion, if you would, to the Trinity. There's the Father and the Son. Hadn't quite got to the Holy Spirit, but he's back there. The Father and the Son are one. There's perfect union. Because that oneness is so great, Jesus states that he's willing, he willingly lays down his life for the sheep. That is love. That is self-sacrificing love, going back to what I said the first. This is what the shepherd does. He lays down his life for, the, for his sheep, as we noted earlier. Verse 16, now pay attention to this one. This one's about you and me. He says, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold. What fold is he speaking of? He's speaking of Israel, of, of the Jews at that point. But the sheep of the other fold, that's you and me. <laughs> Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. He's calling us all in. He, we are part of his flock. He's our great shepherd. We're not Jews, which is who he originally reached out to. We're the other sheep, and praise him that he had us in sight, even at this moment. He already had plans for us. He already had love for us as we're included in his sacrificial offering for our sins. He loves us as well and always has. We're a part of his creation that he wants to be with him for all eternity. He was willing to go to the cross for us as, we, as well. Consequently, we're to take we're, we are a part of his flock, and he's our shepherd. Thank you, Jesus.
Lastly, I want to note one last character quality. I think that we've skirted around, but I want to note it one more time. It's key, if you would. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Verse 17, he says, Therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. What is the therefore, therefore? Jesus already spoken of his willingness to lay down his life for the sheep. That is what a good shepherd does. But also a good teacher often repeats himself so that his students do not miss the import of what he's saying. So Jesus repeats where his love originates, with the Father. But he does not until now mention or make reference to the resurrection. Now listen to me. We're about to come up to Easter. I'm not doing the lentil stuff. I'm sorry. I'm a Baptist still. But without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. There is no perfect payment for our sin. There is no heaven as we cannot get there as our sin will keep us out and only Christ's death and resurrection gets us in. Verse 17, he says, No one takes it from me, that is life, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it up again. This command I have received from my Father. His death pays the price of our sin, but his resurrection is the power to overcome death so we can live again and live in eternity. Jesus says that he will take up his life again. That is the resurrection. He lays his life down and he'll take it up again so as to complete our rescue. The character trait, now listen, he never quits. He has the tenacity to get us there with him. Thank you, Jesus. We need to have that kind of tenacity, that never-quit attitude to get others in as well. Do you have loved ones who are not in God's flock? Are you being tenacious in your efforts to get them into the kingdom? Are you praying? Are you willing to pray and fast? You know, fasting is a denial of the physical in order to enhance the spiritual. It's, it's a humbling of ourselves before God so that God will listen, although he listens all the time, but it's just, it, it shows our desperation, our tenacity, our desire. Are you telling are you telling even though you might, they might think you're a crazy fundamentalist Christian? <laughs> I've been called that numbers of times. But you got to tell. Are you telling even though they might think you're crazy? Are you tenacious in your undying love for them regardless of their response? Jesus was and has been and is tenacious towards us. He loves us and he went all the way to the cross and he hasn't stopped, he's, he's at the right hand of the Father right now making intercession for us. Some of you may have heard of a man named George Mueller. He was a German immigrant to England in the mid-1800s. He decided, he went over when he was like 24 or 25, and he was a Christian, he'd become a Christian. 
He went as a missionary, basically, to England, if you can imagine that. He decided that he would trust God for everything that he did. God put it on his heart to start an orphanage. Not like normal people start orphanages. He wasn't to make his needs known. He was only to pray for what God would provide to build an orphanage. And so he began to pray. And I want to tell you something. That he is one example of tenacious praying. He did not give up. And God provided the materials to build an orphanage. He got to the end of it, and he said, okay, what do we do now, Lord? And the Lord says, well, you need to pray for orphans. So he began to pray for the orphans. And sure enough, it filled up. Now, mind you, this was done in like the 1840s and 50s. When I lived in England in the 80s, that orphanage was still intact. He prayed for their food. He prayed for their financial needs. He prayed for them to get jobs when they got out. He prayed for their clothing. And God provided it all. He also kept a journal of people that he prayed for. And throughout his lifetime, um, he, he saw many people come to Christ. He was an evangelist, so he would go around. He was in the, the Brethren Church, and so he would go around and speak, and people would uh, get saved and he had friends that he got saved, but there were two guys that never got saved. One of them he prayed for for 68 years. That's tenacity. At the funeral of George Mueller, that man was saved. And two weeks later, before the second man died, because they were both elderly, the second man got saved. See, God has called us to be like Jesus. Jesus was tenacious. He wasn't going to give up on us. He never has given up on us. He loves us. He's the good shepherd. And he wants us to be tenacious as well for our world. Our world is sick right now. It is very sick. But we as Christians can stand in the gap for our world and pray and witness when we need to. And have the opportunity. I sat down at, at, um, at great, or I was standing eating at Great Divide uh, Friday. I went skiing. And um, this lady said, oh, you can come and sit with us. Because all the tables were filled. So she cleared a spot right in front of her husband. And I sat down and he introduced, well, we started talking. I finally said, what did you do? Or what do you do? I thought he was retired. So I retired 10 years ago. I've been retired. And I said, what did you do before you retired? Oh, I was an anesthesiologist. And I said, oh, cool. He said, what did you do? And I said, well, I was a Baptist pastor for 27 years. He said, I'm an atheist. And before I could stop it coming out of my mouth, I said, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and I sort of, oh, what did I just say? <laughs> and I thought, I need to go back and witness to him. And I'm, I, I, I got up, we talked. We had a nice talk and just you know, talked about different stuff. But there's an answer for that man. He was 74. He's going to be somewhere here soon. We're to be tenacious. We're to love like Jesus loved. We, we're, <laughs> let me back up. We need godly loyalty that will stick with folks God has put in front of us and the church he has called us to 
unwilling to leave others like Jesus is unwilling to leave you. We need those who love like Jesus, who are willing to love to the point of becoming one with others and loving them sacrificially, living with them and, <clears throat> and giving of what God has for you collectively. And lastly, we need those with godly tenacity, unwilling to give up on anyone God has put in your path. Four tall orders. I just gave you three, I missed one. We're four tall orders, but all possible by the indwelling Christ as we allow him to live through us. Will you? Will you allow him to do that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our good shepherd who loves us so much that he, he sacrificed himself for us. He's loyal to us. He goes over the top for us. And he's been tenacious before your throne of grace for us. Lord, may we be like him. May we grow in these qualities. May we see our churches full. We, may we see Sunday morning traffic congestion <laughs> because people are coming because they've seen the church in action. They've seen your love displayed and they want to be a part of it. Lord, bless this church. Fill them with your spirit. Fill their seats. Fill this auditorium. Use them for your glory. Develop in them even more Christ-likeness than what they have now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you.